Uh, welcome to Eastgate Church. I don't know about y'all, but I feel a little bit of Jesus in this house this morning. Everyone watching online, I hope you can feel what we're feeling in this place. Man, it is a great day to be in the house of God. Speaking of people online, big welcome to everyone who's watching right now. Can we say welcome to everyone joining us online today? We're so glad that you guys are tuning in. If you would, remember to hit that like button and that share button so that we can reach as many people as possible with the gospel of Jesus. The live stream broadcast from here goes out to over 68 countries across the world, so we're reaching people for Jesus. That's all to his glory for sure. And uh, we're so glad that you guys are joining us. And even in-house, now take a second to maybe check in and share that live stream. Just watch the volume on your phone so that we can reach as many people as we can. I'm so glad that y'all are here today. I say this often, but you could absolutely be anywhere else on the planet today but you're here. That says a lot about you. And I don't take for granted or, or overlook what it takes sometimes to get to church nowadays. There's a lot of life happening and a lot of stuff going on and people live busy schedules. So for people to prioritize being in the house of God is amazing. That tells me that you've got a leg up on what's happening in life. It really does. Because when you prioritize Jesus, everything else falls in line. So let me say thank you for being in the house of God today. I know the word is going to bless you. Did the worship bless you this morning? Man, there's just something special about getting together with the body of Christ. You know, I hear people say one of the most wrong things I've ever heard. They say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I was like, well, you kind of do. You kind of do. Um, not everyone in church loves Jesus. I'll give you that, but this is what I know. Everyone that really loves Jesus is in church. Amen. They'll find a way to get together with the body of believers. So I'm glad that you're here today. We've got some people to baptize at the end of service today. I'm so excited about that. Oh, these baptism services are some of my favorite services, and we've just got some amazing people that we're going to celebrate uh, at the end of, of service and celebrate what God has done in their lives. But are y'all ready to get into the word today? Ooh, good, because I am too. We're going to dive in. And by the way, if, if you're a guest here, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We always say once you're here, you're not a guest anymore. You're family. So kick back, relax. We're glad that you're here. Um, my name is Josh. I'm the lead servant here at Eastgate Church. Um, some people call me pastor, but I like to see myself as a servant who is stewarding over what God has entrusted us with as a church. If you got your Bibles or your tablets, go to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Um, Matthew, chapter 16. We're going to get into one of the most amazing blocks of Scripture you're ever going to read. You guys like cake? Yeah. Yeah. We're getting, getting close. I know that just sounded like a random transition, right? Talking about Jesus in the Bible. Let's go cake. Cake is good. Cake is good. I'm a big fan of food. Without it, I don't think I would be here. So I'm a big fan of food. Thanksgiving is rolling up. You guys excited about the Thanksgiving season? <clears throat> I love it. Thanksgiving matters. Celebrate Jesus all year long. I get it, but it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, at least in my world. Uh, but I love Thanksgiving because of all the delicious foods and all the, you know, you get to hang out with family. And most of the time, that's a good thing. Sometimes it tests you a little bit. But it's always good uh, to, to see all the different kinds of foods. I love cake. I love cake. Cake is my enemy right now because I'm on this campaign to become Skinny Josh. And it's going pretty good so far. So, but I have a goal. Thanksgiving, I want to have a little bit of cake. I'm going to have some pumpkin pie, too, for sure. Pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie or sweet potato pie? Sweet potato? Okay. I, doing, I'm doing what you're never supposed to do. You're never supposed to do this in any kind of public speaking venue. You never split the house. You never do that. You never, so um, I get it. I, I like pumpkin pie. Some people like sweet potato pie. It's pretty good, too, but I'm a pumpkin pie guy. I like cake, though, because... I don't know about y'all, like when I eat cake, like the one-layered cakes, just don't do it for me. Like, I, if I'm going to eat like a chocolate, y'all like chocolate cake? If I eat chocolate cake, I want like at least two layers, maybe three layers to that joker. You know what I mean? I like icing, cake, icing, cake, icing, cake. 
and then maybe some icing on the bottom. I don't know. I might dip my fork in the icing before I eat the cake. I just, I love the different layers of that. I just love it. One of the cool things about Jesus is, listen, there's a lot of depth and layers to this guy. A lot of depths and layers to this guy. When I say Jesus, a lot of times people will initially, you'll get this mental image of, of how you picture Jesus to be. And I find that sometimes that who we picture Jesus to be and who he actually is is two completely different things. You know, I, uh, and, and, and I, can, I can appreciate soft-spoken Jesus. I can appreciate the Jesus that just gives you the hug and says everything's going to be okay. I appreciate the Jesus that, that, um, that, that is, is, is like on the mountainside delivering wisdom and all of that stuff. But you know, there's a little bit more to Jesus than that. Amen. Jesus, at times, was a stone-cold savage. Yeah. He was, in fact, put the artwork back up there because I think this concept is going to be radical. Is Jesus is a we serve a savage Jesus, not in like a mean, malicious way, but dude, he could just straight take over when he wanted to. You know what I mean? He wasn't just all cute and cuddly. This is the Jesus. Like, imagine an average day following Jesus around. Any given day, he was going to open up blind eyes. Any given day, someone was going to have their deaf ears opened up, and they'd be able to hear. Any given day, lepers were going to be healed. Somebody was getting healed somehow, someway. Any given day, uh, Jesus might raise somebody from the dead. That's not an average life. That's a savage kind of life. He was always handling business. Jesus was the guy that could love on somebody and say something nice to them and then turn around and go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and back them down. Jesus was savage. He wasn't a little cupcake kind of guy. He was a beast. This is the guy that went into the temple one day and saw the money changers taking advantage of the people that came into the temple to worship, and they were overcharging the people by double, sometimes triple, what they should have been paying for the animals and the elements they were going to use for sacrifice in the temple. Jesus went nuts on them. The Bible says that he flipped over tables, listen, that weighed somewhere between 600 and 800 pounds apiece. That's not some weak, soft-spoken little weenie guy. All right, Jesus flipped him over. He made a whip out of something and just started beating rear ends in church to make sure that his father's house was going to be a house of prayer and that the people playing the religious game and taking advantage of other people were going to hit the door. That's the Jesus that we need to catch a glimpse of because when you see a Savior that can do that... we. I get so excited when I think about this. This is the Jesus that's coming back at the end of all things, riding that beautiful horse with a tattoo on his thigh that's going to square up against the enemy, speak a word, and destroy the armies of the world and Satan without breaking a sweat. That's a savage Jesus. That is the Savior. I, I want that guy, that cute, cuddly Jesus. Okay, he's cool on Christmas cards, but I want the real Jesus. I want the savage who could, who could be loved and be disciplined, who could, who could speak softly and then thunder with his voice. That, Jesus is amazing. And of all the things that Jesus, in, the, in this series, we're just going to look at some of the most amazing, powerful, savage things that Jesus did during his life. Because when you really dig into some of the stuff that he did, what he said, how he said it, where he said it, and how he dealt with people... Man, oh man, I think if Jesus was here today, we might be shocked at some of the stuff that he says and does. Man, he's a a game changer for sure. So I want to dig into one of the coolest things that he did, just in my opinion. Everything Jesus did was cool, but this is just... Not to say it again, I'm going to wear this out before it's over. It's just savage. It's one of the most gangster things I've ever seen anybody do in my life. So Matthew chapter 16, we're going to start reading in verse 13. This is so awesome. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? 
And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus pivots here, and he says, okay, that's good, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? I think that's probably the most important question we're going to answer today. Not who does everybody else say that Jesus is, and not who the people to the right or to the left of you this morning says Jesus is, or your grandma or some church-going person in your family that may have invited you here today, but who do you say Jesus is? Because that's what matters the most. That's what matters the most. In fact, I'd say our perception of Jesus will determine our priorities in life. Our perception of Jesus determines our priorities in life. In fact, who he is to us literally shapes how we prioritize everything in our lives. If he's just something we go visit on a Sunday, then our life is going to reflect that. You know? But if he's everything to us, then our life is going to reflect that also. Everything stops and starts with our relationship with Jesus. Make sense? I think too many times what we like to do, and I've been guilty of this in the past, is we like to carry around this little box, the God box, or the Jesus box, that we like to put him in. So we live our lives, we do our own thing, you know, but he goes in this little box. And, and listen to it, this is what happens. When we go through a tough time and we need comfort, well, we open up the box... We go in there, we go, to the, we go to the God box, we go to Jesus, and we get our comfort, because in that season, he represents comfort to us. That's who Jesus is. And once we get the comfort and the storm is passed, he goes back in the box, goes back on the shelf, so we can live our lives until something else happens, and we hit some kind of financial trouble. Oh, now we need somebody to provide, so we go back to the box. God, I need you to provide. And when we get the pressure off of that situation... Close the box, God goes back in it, back up on the shelf. He becomes something that we go to when we need something. Instead of Lord and Savior of our lives. Instead of Lord and Savior of our lives. It's a big difference here. That question, it, it, it just kind of cuts through the noise and gets straight to the point. Who is Jesus to us? For a lot of people, Jesus is this right here. He's what other people says. That he, well, that some people call you a prophet. Some people call you John the Baptist. Some people call you... No, who am I to you? Because I got news for you. Jesus is not something that you run to or pick up the phone and call like some late night booty call when you need something, okay? He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is all-powerful, undefeated, miracle-working. I love you so much, I'll die for you, Savior of the world. That's who he is. Not somebody that you just run to. And I think sometimes our concept and, and, and look on Jesus is not exactly accurate because a lot of us haven't really experienced who he is we know him in concept but we don't know him real really and he asked this question of the disciples and simon peter uh the vocal one in the group makes a profound statement he says you are the christ the messiah the son of of the living God. But the way he said it, it w w first of all, this is the first time Jesus has ever been recognized as this. Uh, secondly, the way Peter said it, or Simon Peter said it, was in a possessive kind of way. It wasn't just, this is your title, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the son of the living God. It was a possessive tone. So he said it like this, you are my Christ, you are my Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are, you are this to me. And man, when it switches and it clicks like that inside of you, it becomes a game changer. Listen, if you're here today and Jesus isn't Lord and Savior of your life, let me encourage you with all that I am. Man, that's something you want to take care of. You have no idea who he is. You have no idea what real love actually is 
you have no idea what purpose actually is outside of him. And I hope before the day's over, you will. Um, then I, I want to I jump back because it's not so much what Jesus was doing, but where he did it that sets the stage for just how unbelievable this move is that he's making. So in Matthew 16, we'll jump back to verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and that's key, uh, it's key that they're in Caesarea Philippi. I want to show you where it is on a map. Uh, Caesarea Philippi, uh, where Jesus and the guys were, was somewhere around the Sea of Galilee. And he decided to travel with them about 30 miles north to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a place that if you were a Jew, you did not go to. You know, like, if, if you're a Crip, you don't go hang out with the Bloods. You know what I mean? So, you, if you were a Jew, you did not go to Caesarea Philippi. That was a no-no place. You didn't go there. It was a place that was very spiritually dark. It was a place where there was a lot of pagan activity. Um, it was a place that was morally filthy, and the Jews would, they would actually go out of their way to avoid this region uh, just so the dust in the air from Caesarea Philippi wouldn't land on them and contaminate them. Okay, they didn't want to go anywhere near this place because of how dark it was. Jesus, for some reason, decided that's where he wanted to go. That piques my interest just a little bit. You know, why would holy, never send Jesus, want to go to the dirtiest place in the region with his group of disciples? You know, why, what, what's the motivation there? I love this. Um, Jesus had this way of doing what the Father told him to do and saying what the Father told him to say. And Jesus, in this instance, is doing what's spiritually right, not what was culturally acceptable. He was on a mission. And I was thinking about it. Well, of course it makes sense for the light of the world to go to the darkest place literally in the known world at that time. So it wasn't just a regional thing. This was one of the, this is the most spiritually dark place in the known world at the time. This is where Jesus goes. He goes to this place to ask the disciples this question. Who do you say that I am. Now, I don't know about you, I, I hate puzzles, but I like to figure things out. You know, my wife, she loves these little jigsaw puzzles. I hate them, you know, like, but I, I want to figure out motivations and why people are doing these things. And I'm like, well, why would this guy, for some reason, pick up and go 30 miles to a place he's not supposed to be to ask a question he could have asked these guys by the lake? You ever wondered stuff like that? I'm just like, what, what is going on here? I, I love that Jesus wasn't intimidated by how spiritually dark the area yeah, was. And I got news for you today. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Jesus is not intimidated by the darkest parts of who yeah. you are. He yeah. will walk right up in there and let the light of his love shine and bring about the transformation that he needs. Don't you ever feel like you're so far gone that Jesus can't reach you? Because that's the place that Jesus likes to hang out the most. So if you feel like you've gone too far and there's no hope for you, hey, guess what? Look over your shoulder. Probably Jesus is right there because that's the kind of person he was always after when he was on this earth. Good news for you, he's still after that kind of person today. Good news for me, he's still after those kind of people. I know where I came from and how far gone I was. And if he can do something in me, I guarantee you, he can do something in you. And we talk about what God does. Sometimes we, we like to do the, the PG version or the PG-13 version of our testimonies. You know, he'll get up all in the R-rated NC-17 stuff that you don't want to tell anybody else about and bring about life transformation and change. Just, just, just to, to give a picture of how dark this area was. It's one thing to say spiritually dark. I want to give you a little bit of history around this area. The area of Caesarea Philippi um, is kind of pixelated on the screen, but on this screen you can see it just a little bit better. This was a place where the Canaanites used to worship Baal. Okay? 
Uh, it's a region where for over a thousand years, the Canaanites would worship the false god Baal. They would, uh, there, there would be human sacrifice taking place. They would sacrifice their children to the false god Baal. Um, they, it, it was disgusting. There would be, uh, I'm looking around here. Okay, I'll, I'll say it like there were temple prostitutes there. Uh, considered part of uh, worship to Baal. So all of that was going on in this region for over a thousand years. It's a spiritually dark place. So when the Romans and the Grecians came in and conquered the area, they then, in that same area, set up this temple area. Um, and it's the temple for Zeus and Pan, two prominent gods or false gods that they worshipped as a society, Zeus and Pan. So when they defeated the Canaanites, the, the Romans and the Grecians came in, and for uh, hundreds of years, after the thousands of years that this area was spiritually dark, they had these temples in place. What they did was they came in, they destroyed the temple for Baal, and they built these temples on top of the temples for Baal. Because what you did in those days, when you uh, were a kingdom that conquered another kingdom, you would pick strategic buildings or symbols in that kingdom, knock them down, and then build your stuff on top of it. So in, in religious uh, structures would always be one of, the, one of the, the buildings in that group. So they tore down the temple for Baal, and on top of it they built this temple for Zeus and for Pan. Because at, by establishing your buildings on top of their buildings and putting temples on top of their temples, you're saying that we have conquered above you and our gods have defeated your gods. So that's what they were doing. Um, these temples for Zeus and Pan, you just thought some sadistic evil stuff was going on with the worship of Baal. It was everything that was happening uh, in the temple of Baal times 10 at least. So for Zeus, there would be human sacrifice. There would be uh, children sacrificed. Uh, there would be the activity with the prostitutes and, and all of that stuff going on. But in the temple of Pan, all of that would be going on as well, but they would involve animals in the activities. That's about as far as I'm going to go with that. So it was incredibly dark. It was an incredibly oppressed region and area. If we're, uh, over a thousand years, 12, 1300, some people think over 1500 years, this activity was going on. This is where Jesus chose to go to make this statement and to do what he was doing. It, it, it's, it's amazing that he would go here and do this. What do I know about Jesus? Everything Jesus does, though, he does on purpose and for a purpose. Maybe he was up to something. Maybe, maybe he had a plan. Maybe he wanted to make a statement. Maybe he wanted to be just a little savage for a moment. So in Matthew 16, we're going to keep reading here, starting in verse 17. This is after Simon Peter makes this statement. Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Well, now the plot gets a little bit deeper. Jesus is starting to add a little bit more meat Amen. to what he's throwing out here. So what, what is going on here? Well... I want to break down some of these words because like the, the translations of the Bible that we read today okay, are not the original Greek manuscript or the, the original Hebrew. It's not. They are dynamic translations of those original scripts so that we can understand at least in heart and in concept what was being said in a, in a language that's common to us today. It's translated Sometimes what's really said in the meat of it gets lost in translations. That's why I always tell, some, tell people it's good to use multiple translations of the Bible when you study. 
it's good to get down to the original Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic uh, roots and words if you want to go that deep. But there's some really cool stuff if you decide to. So the first thing I want to look at here, and we're just everybody take a deep breath for a moment. All right. So we're going to go to a, a little bit of, we, we've had a little bit of history, now we're going to get into a little bit of word study here. And we're going to tie this thing together, and then we're going to try to clear the smoke out of the room once we finally understand what Jesus is doing, because it's going to explode some brains in here. At least it didn't mind. It's just insane what he was doing. So, so he, he says to Simon, he says that you are now Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. He changes his name from Simon to Peter. The mistake a lot of people make and what's happening here is that we assume that what Jesus is saying is you are going to be the leader that I am going to establish my church with. And the Catholic uh, faith, um, they, they stand big on that. Uh, yeah, he, he's, he, is, he is the one. That, that's not what Jesus is doing here, though. He changes what he calls Peter for effect, and as like there's a transition in the revelation that, that Peter has, but he's making a bigger statement because what does Peter mean? Rock, right? Why would he say you are rock and on this rock and use two different kinds of rocks for? See, Jesus didn't use the same word twice. He used two different words here. So when he called Peter, Peter, he, he's calling him uh, Petros. Petros, which means um, little rock or small rock. Then the word he uses for rock in that scripture is actually Petros, or Petros, I'm sorry, Petros, which means huge rock like the rock of Gibraltar or a huge mountain. Two completely different terms and words. Are y'all following me on this? Two completely different terms. Why would he do this? Like my mind is going, like why in the world would Jesus use two different words for this? And then I remember, oh, go back to the picture of the temple of Zeus and Pan. We know that Jesus went to the region of Caesarea Philippi. But what many Bible scholars will tell you is that he didn't just go to the region. Jesus went to this spot. Amen. The reason why we know he went to this spot is two clues. One, in that verse that we, we read, he said, um, on this rock I built my church and the gates of hell will not uh, prevail against it. So the gates of hell was a common, like, where, where this temple was set up, people called this for over thousands, over a thousand years, the gates of hell. That's what they called it. The gates of hell. And what it was, was if, and this is, in this rendering of what the temples look like, over here, you'll see a cave behind this temple building. They called this cave the literal gates of of hell because it was a big cave and at the back of the cave there was what was presumed to be a bottomless pit a really deep pit and the wind would whip around in there and it would howl and especially at night it would get kind of creepy you ever heard coyotes just howling off in the distance at night you know when you're outside kind of creepy sounding so they would hear howling and noises and they said what they would say was those are Lost spirits crying out from the depths of hell. So on the gates of hell, they decided to worship their false gods and do the sacrifices. This was a very spiritually dark place. So we know because of what he said, most likely he would have been on location because of what they called this cave. So the area most of the time wouldn't be known as I'm going to go to the Temple of Zeus or I'm going to go to the Temple of Pan. People in the area would say, I'm going to go to the gates of hell. That's what they would say. Now, what gets interesting is the delineation between the two words rock. Y'all still with me? Yeah. So he says to, Jesus, or says to Peter, you're 
you're, you are Peter, you are little rock or normal rock. On this big rock, I know you guys have eyes and you can see. Is there anything on that picture that makes you think of a big rock? Yeah, it's good. So, more than likely, not only was Jesus on sight, Jesus had the disciples on top of this mountainside or this rock overlooking what was happening in that temple area over the gates of hell while humans were being sacrificed, while the prostitutes were doing their thing, while mutilations were taking place and people were abusing the animals and, and, and all of this stuff was happening. Jesus was there above it making a proclamation. Now that by itself is kind of cool, but it gets much more cool. Go back to Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 and 18 again. So I kind of understand the difference between Peter and Rock. Then he says, I will build my church. That word church that we have in Scripture, that's a concept we recognize today, but that's not what Jesus was saying in the original Greek. Everybody say original Greek. Make sure you are still with me. It's not what he was saying. He uses a word that we roughly translate to be us gathering together as believers in Christ, um, as church. What he uses is a word called ecclesia. Ecclesia. Ecclesia is very different by definition than how most people think the church operates. It's actually not even a word that he made up on the spot. It was an existing word used uh, by the Greeks and by the Romans. Ecclesia was a governmental term. Ecclesia was a called out group of people. So like out of this group of people, I would pick five of you and y'all would be the called out ones of the Ecclesia to come out of the crowd to function as an extension of the king or the government to the remaining people. So the ecclesia were a representing governing body that operated under the authority of the king, but they had all of the authority of the king. So when they spoke, it was like the king speaking. And are, are y'all catching this right now? So, so he says, this, this is what I'm going to set up here I'm going to set up not just a church where people gather together to sing. I am going to establish my governing body here. That's interesting. Uh, Gates also um, comes into play here because not just gives location to the gates of hell, but in that culture in that day, gates was a symbol of government or authority. Gates were where they would have conducted all of the business. Many times that's where court was had at the city gates. It was the center of, it's the, center of the, uh, the activity in the kingdom. You go to the gate and that's where all the business was conducted. It was not just where it was conducted, but it was a symbol of, of, of the authority and the power of the kingdom and the region. Blows me away. Jesus walks 30 miles with these guys to the darkest place on the planet. To a place called the gates of hell. The kingdom of hell. The government of hell. Because that's what gates would have represented. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? Peter says, uh, you're the Christ the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and Jesus says, you got it. You've got it. And because you've got it, right here, above, on the rock, above the worship and the gates of hell and all the stuff that's going on, above it, I will establish my 
ecclesia, my governing body, on top of the gates of hell. I will establish my church on top of the temples. You know what Jesus was doing? This is one of the most savage moves ever. He was saying, I am here to conquer it all. I'm setting up my kingdom on top of this kingdom. That means that I have overcome, that I have conquered, that I have put it all under my feet. This is amazing. Absolutely amazing what he's doing here. It was like, it was like you were sitting around drinking coffee with the guys, and he's like, you know what? I just want to do something to flex for a little bit. So he walked up there and, and did all of this stuff. This is one of the most mind-blowing, savage swag moves I have ever seen in my life. Like, I've seen Michael Jordan close his eyes and hit shots, closing his eyes. I've seen basketball players call shots before they make it. I heard stories about Babe Ruth calling home runs before he hit them. But before Jesus died, he thought, I'll just do a little something here to punk the devil before I kick his butt and symbolically let him know what's happening. Oh, and at the same time, fulfill the prophecy where they said he would put all things under his feet and just make a savage move and say, hi, here I am. I'm setting up my government on top of his. I'm setting up my church on top of his. Man, Jesus is so cool. He's so cool. Then this word gates comes to play again. I'm like, not only is it a symbol of authority and, and government, but gates... Have you noticed, like if you go into somebody's yard, and, and back in the day, if you were going to go into a city, you'd have to go through the gate, right? That's where it passed through. Um, has anyone ever been attacked by a gate? Some of you are like, have you seen me walk in public, Pastor Josh? I get attacked by anything at any time. I, I get it. I get it. Stationary objects attack you. The floor jumps up and grabs you and trips you. I, I feel it. I know. But, but gates like don't pop off the hinges and go attack people. Gates are defensive in nature. Not only is Jesus establishing things, but he's making a deeper statement too that we can stand on today. If gates are defensive objects and put that scripture back up there it, it, it's amazing how he phrases this he's he says uh, i'll build my church and the gates of hades or hell will not overcome it i don't like that word overcome i think it's a bad translation in fact if you look at different translations you'll see this verbiage changed just a little bit the correct verbiage is resist Not overcome, resist. What he's saying is, I'm establishing myself above this. I've conquered all of it. And the gates of hell, the government of the enemy, what he has established here, will not be able to withstand. Not overcome, withstand my church. will not be able to stand against the flood that I'm about to unleash. Guys, we were never meant to take a defensive posture in this walk with God and take a beating from the enemy. By very definition, at the establishment and the announcement of us, the church, the ecclesia, God's governing body on this earth, he said, you guys are going to be on the offensive, not the defensive. And you're going to attack this stuff in such a powerful way that the enemy will not be able to stand up against it. I don't know about you, but when I put on the news... I see a lot of gates. Yeah. What are you talking about, Pastor Josh? Sounding a little churchy. Well, let's break it down a little bit. Oh, gates are kind of symbolic, but when I put on the news, 
I see a lot of gates. I see a lot of hatred. I see a lot of racism. I see a lot of classism. I see literally the struggle between darkness and light. When I talk to people and pray over people, I see gates. And gates, gates look very differently d depending on who you are. and what. Gates in a person's life, well, that's a defensive structure built around a stronghold, yeah? yeah? Jesus says, not only have I come to destroy the stronghold of the enemy, but I'm equipping you and telling you to go out and to continue destroying the strongholds of the enemy. Amen. Guys, we got a lot of people to reach in this world. Bigger question for you with regards to gates. I'm, what gate needs to come down in our lives? This is what I know. It's hard for us to rally and go affect the world when we're boxed in by gates in our own life. They keep people out and they also keep people in. What gates need to come down in our lives? today and for some people gates look like the hurt that we're tied to and can never escape from for some people the gates look like the offense that we never resolve and we just bury it and think, well, I'll just get over it and I'm over that kind of stuff. And we don't realize that by not dealing with it and resolving it, we're literally establishing a gate. Maybe we can see through it, but you're not going to be able to go past it. I wonder how many gates are here today. Gates in our marriages, gates with our children. gates of addiction in the same way that Jesus stood over the gates of hell and established his kingdom over the kingdom of darkness in a personal way Jesus is willing to travel to the darkest places of who you are and stand over the thing that has you bound and pronounce the same freedom over you today. Isn't it time? Isn't it? In, in, light, in light of all that Jesus has done, in light of all those that still need to be reached. I mean, isn't it time for the church to kick down some gates in our own lives so that we can go out to the community and kick down some gates out there? It's hard to give freedom when you don't have freedom. So many churches are ineffective and unproductive and so many Christians are ineffective and unproductive because, and we know how to shout, we know how to sing, we know how to give, and all of those things are powerful, but when it comes time to stop and look at the gates that are established in our lives, sometimes we get so comfortable with the prison that we forget that we're in it. One of the biggest problems with people in prison is once they're there long enough, they become what's called institutionalized. And instead of wanting to get out, they come to appreciate the walls that are keeping them in. And what was meant as confinement and punishment and isolation gets accepted as their world. It's funny how often we settle for the things that the enemy has planted in our lives. And just act like it's normal. We act like it's normal to roll around 
in a fit of rage. We act like it's normal to walk around with bitterness and unforgiveness. We act like it's normal when life hits and the stress hits to grab a bottle to escape instead of going to the presence of God. We act like it's normal to box ourselves in. And I'm here to tell you that there is a Savior that can speak to those issues in your life and kick open those doors and set you free today. The gates of hell will not withstand it. Gates. A couple of questions this morning. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. It's funny, when, when I do this, Without fail, what happens every time, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, I can literally see the scramble starting to happen on people's faces when we get to moments like this in the service because on on one level I get that it could be a little uncomfortable. And I think part of that's because we feel like we're supposed to look a certain way or be a certain way or act a certain way in church. We begin to think, well, if I deal with this stuff in a public way, then everybody's going to know that I got issues. Let me just set you free for a second. We've all got issues, including me. I got stuff I'm working through and I'm growing through myself. Are there gates set up in your heart that need to come down today? I'd encourage you, don't put up a wall to hide a gate. How long do you really want to be in prison? How, how long do you really want to be the one that, that has to, to, to sabotage the life, to punish yourself for the mistakes that you've made 20 years ago? And it's time to be free from all of that to operate in fear and timidity. It's time to be free from all of that. Time to be free. Some of us have lost so much in years gone by that it just feels like there's still a hole inside of you. Let Jesus fill that today. Are there gates set up in your heart? Jesus is here to set you free. So on the count of three, if that's you today, Pastor Josh, I I got some stuff. I've got the gates. The strongholds are there. I've got the issue that I'm working on it. It's time for this stuff to come down because it's literally standing between you and everything that God has called you to be. It's literally standing between you and everything that the Lord desires to give you. It is the obstacle standing in front of your freedom and literally while it is there, it is keeping you from being a beacon of freedom to those around you. It's time for the gates to come down in our lives today. That's you, and you're ready to see some gates come down. When I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up, and I want you to look at me. Here we go. I'm not going to drag it out. You know right now. Let's handle some business. Let's handle some business and clean out our hearts and tear down some gates. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift your eyes and look at me. If that's you, I see yours, yours, I see yours, I see yours, I see yours, I see yours. Once you lift them up, you can put them back down. I see yours, I see yours, I see yours. God is doing some amazing. I see yours, I see yours, I see yours. Once you lift them up, you can put them back down. I see yours. Man, God is doing some amazing stuff in the place today. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. So much going on in this room right now. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. Let, let, me, let, me, let me ask you one more question while we're all standing. While we're all standing. Just bow your heads and close your eyes one more time. I think God wants to take this just a little bit further today. Because everything starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. And, and facing the issues and obstacles in life, 
it, it just doesn't quite work unless you do it His way. Our strength is not enough to get it done. We have to do it out of the, out of, or off the platform of a relationship with Him. Question for you this morning, is Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Not, I go to church, or I believe in God, and the Bible actually says the demons in hell believe in God and tremble with fear. Believing in God never did anything. And a lot of people think sometimes, well, if if I'm good, I, I'm just going to wait to get right with God because i got some stuff I need to fix in my life, and I'm not good enough yet, and I want to make sure that i got this stuff settled before I come to Jesus because I don't want to be the hypocrite that I complain about seeing in church. Well, i got news for you. If you could fix it on your own, Jesus wouldn't have had to have died on the cross to pay the price for your sin. The fact is, we can't do it on our own. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's me included. None of us are perfect. We get, some, we get twisted sometimes in our minds and think that God takes bad people and turns them into good people, and that's not what happens. He takes spiritually dead people and brings them back to life. That's what Jesus died for. Not behavior modification, trying to act a certain way or be a certain way. He says, no, forget that junk. Let me be your Lord and Savior. Let me get inside that heart and I'll change you from the inside out through my strength and not yours. That's the difference between life transformation and Jesus and religion. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about religion talking about a life transformation in Jesus. Do you have that? Is He Lord and Savior of your life? Maybe you're here today and that's not the case, but you want it to be that way. I'm going to give you an opportunity when I count to three. If you're here today and Jesus isn't Lord and Savior of your life, and I mean real, I mean real, not I come to church on Sunday and get stuff right and then I live however I want to between Monday and Saturday. I mean, is it real? The beautiful thing is you can get that right today. When I count to three, if that's you and you want it to be real, lift your eyes and look at me. I want to pray for you this morning. Here we go. One, two, three. If that's you, lift your eyes and look at me. I see yours. I see yours. I'm going to hang out here for just a second. I see yours. I see yours right there. Pastor Josh, it's not real, but I want it to be real. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet, lift your eyes up and look at me. I want to pray with you this morning and get this right. a little bit longer all right here we go everyone that lifted up your eyes and you looked at me listen to me I'm so proud of you that's a big step that's a big statement that you're about to make today I'm going to pray this prayer and I want everyone to pray this prayer after me and repeat it he lifted up your eyes. He said, I need to make this real in my heart and in my life. I want you to pray it and mean it with all of your heart. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that you'll be saved. I'm so excited that this is about to happen. Everyone pray this prayer after me. In fact, can we, can we just do this? I always wanted to be the church that focuses on individuals and not crowds. You know? And I think sometimes the more powerful moments are when they happen individually. If you would, I want to pray for you personally up here today. 
And there was a good group of people that lifted up our eyes and said, hey, I need to get this right in my heart. I want to pray with you personally. Now listen, I'm not trying to embarrass you and I'm not trying to make you a spectacle for everyone in the church. That's absolutely not my heart, but this is what I know. Sometimes when you make a decision, it's good to make, I mean, to make that decision solid, to make it count, and to make a statement when you make a decision becomes a lot easier to stand in. I want to make sure that I'm setting you up to be able to stand. And, and I know, like right now, you're probably freaking out. Oh no, is he actually going to ask me to come up to the front? What in the world has happened? I just came because somebody invited me, and now this dude's trying to... I'm not trying to talk you into anything, and I would never pressure you into doing anything that you would not want to do. The same way I would never pressure you into trying to make a decision for Jesus. But this is what I know. If the decision you made for Jesus was real, it'll be a lot easier for you to do what I'm about to ask you to do. On a count of three, if you would, I want you to step out of the seat in the aisle that you're in right now, and I want you to come meet me right here. I want to pray with you personally this morning. Can we do that? I know it's going to take a lot of courage. I know it's going to make you a little uncomfortable. But I think a quality decision is worth taking a stand for. And this is what you need to know, that everybody in here is not staring at you. Everybody in here is cheering for you this morning. We're cheering for you this morning. Is it real? Is it real? Is it real? Is it real? Let's make it real. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is that you? On the count of three, I want you to get out of your seat. When I count to three, here we go. One two, three, out of your seat, out of your aisle, out of your row. I want you to come meet me right here, right now. Right here, right now. Come on. Someone always has to go first. There we go. Let's give God praise as they're coming this morning. Oh, I'm so proud of y'all. This is so awesome. So awesome. I want you to do me a favor, though. This is what I know. There's always, there's always, we got more coming. Praise God for this. This is so awesome. I want you to look at the person standing next to you. Look them right in the eye. Not to be awkward, but look them right in the eye. And ask them this question. Do you need to go down there? I want you to say this. If you need to go down there, I'll go with you. Now, if you need to come down here, come down here. Come down here before we pray. I don't want to leave anyone out. I want to make sure we've got everybody. This is everybody. So awesome. I'm so stinking proud of y'all. Listen, this is not just another church service. It's not just another Sunday. This is the biggest day in your life. And I'm doing everything I can not to scream, holler, do backflips, and jump around and dance up here. You know, the Bible says that when one comes to know the Lord, heaven breaks out in the biggest party ever. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how they're warming up right now? Oh my goodness, guys, I want to pray with you. I want you to repeat this after me. Everybody's going to pray this with us, but... And I just wanted to have a moment with you guys. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. Everyone repeat this after me. Here we go. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. I choose to repent. That means I turn away from my sin. It's wrong. I recognize it. I don't want that. I want you. Transform me and change me into who you want me to be. You're my Savior and you're my Lord. That means you're in control, not me. Jesus, one day at a time, one step at a time, I'll live my life to please you as you change me 
from the inside out. Thank you for saving me. Let's give God praise in the house this morning. All right. Well, thank you for trusting me this far. Thank you for trusting Jesus this far. If you will, I want to ask you to do one more thing before all this wraps up today. Emily, if you will, come on up towards the tank so they can see you. Um, this is Emily, and if you don't know her, Emily is a great, she's a great woman. She's awesome. Listen, I trust Emily. She's not going to do anything wonky or weird with you. I promise you that. Um, Emily's job this morning is to get you to follow her out of this room into a different room um, for like five minutes to get you out of the noise so that she can talk to you real quickly, all right, about a couple of things. Um, well, a few things actually. One, if you don't have a church, listen, welcome home. Welcome home. Let us be your church. Let us be your church. Second thing is this, listen, if you have not been baptized yet, it's just so crucial and critical that you get baptized as soon as possible. Here's why. 70% of people that get baptized stay with their faith consistently. Okay, it's a big step. If you haven't been baptized or maybe it's been a long time, you might want to consider doing that. And then we have a, a kind of a group that meets here on Sunday mornings um, just to go over like foundational things in your faith. I don't know if you've been in church or out of church. Maybe this is your first time to church. Um, we want to make sure that you know that that's available to you. But if you would, please do me a big favor. Emily's right there. So everybody turn around and look at Emily. If you will, pretty please, go with Emily. You're not going to miss anything. We're literally about to play a song. And we'll wait till you get back before we baptize anybody so that you're not going to miss a thing uh, if you came uh, to celebrate someone being baptized. So if you would, please go with Emily. You ready, Emily? All right, follow her, and she'll have you back in here in just a second. Oh, it's the best thing ever. It's the best thing ever. Now, we had some gates we needed to deal with, yeah? So everybody take a second and get it in your mind. What is it? What is this stuff that we're dealing with? You got it? What's the sin? What's the stronghold? What, what's the vice? What's the gate? What's, what's, holding, what's holding us back in this room? How many of you believe that there's freedom in the presence of God? How many of you believe that there's power in our worship? How many of you believe that you, being in Christ, had the power and authority to speak to the own issues and gates in your life and see the power of God tear them down? I'm going to pray over you quickly, and the band is going to play behind me, and we're going to have a moment of worship, and we're going to tear this stuff down in our own lives. Now, are we going to do this, or are we just going to hum our way through the song and wait for the next part of service? We're going to do this? All right, so let's all stand back up. Hey, we're getting a good workout in church this morning, huh? <laughs> up, down, up, down, up, down. The band's going to lead us in a song. We're going we're gonna to pray this stuff out and be in the presence of God, and then we're going to have some more fun. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, let every stronghold come down. Father, there, there are times where we need to reclaim our own territory in you. If we're your ecclesia, if we're your governing body, then it's time for us to kick down the gates in our life so that we can kick down the gates in this world around us. Father, let the gates fall in these next few moments in the power of your presence. In Jesus' name, let's worship God for just a little bit.
Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Break every chain, break every chain. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. sets free is free indeed you feel free this morning yeah. hey if you're free in the house give God some praise like he's did some stuff in your life <laughs> 